five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Satellite IoT or Internet of Things. We have another episode on this topic. So which devices or machines can we connect via satellite communications? How and why? Our guest this week to answer all this is Omar Casey, the founder and CEO of Luxembourg-based OQ Technology, which is a prominent satellite IoT startup that already has several satellites in orbit. Enjoy. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by NanoAvionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, space enthusiasts, welcome back to another episode of the Space Business Podcast. This time we have a Series B stage European prominent space startup based in Luxembourg, OQ Technology. And I'm very happy that we have as our guest this week, their founder, Omar Casey, who is also the CEO of the company. Welcome, Omar. Hi, Raphael. Thank you very much for uh, this nice opportunity and being on your podcast. I'm really excited uh, to be here today. Uh, so am I. And before we kind of delve deeper into various aspects of OQ, why don't we start as we usually start with space startups and do you mind giving us the elevator pitch on OQ technology please yes thanks so um i mean the the problem as uh, we all know uh, in, in the world that you have uh, cellular coverage in mainly urban areas which around like 20 percent of the world but 80 percent of the world not covered and uh, if you look recently the number of machines and devices connecting to the internet and communicating with each other uh, has been a multiple of the number of humans uh, on earth and that requires really a huge infrastructure necessary infrastructure to connect these devices and sensors. And while cellular has taken care of that in urban areas, you still have this issue in remote and rural areas. And this comes the role of OQ, where we are connecting billions of devices in remote and rural areas through a low Earth orbit nano satellite constellation that we've been building since 2016. And we're the first company and the most advanced LEO and narrowband 5G NTN connectivity company that is following the 3GPP release standard for narrowband IoT over satellite. Okay, great. There's there's a lot to unpack there. But let me let me take a step back, right? Because we're like, you know, a non-technical podcast and trying to get more people into the space sector. So always trying to explain a little bit what's behind of everything. So when you're saying sort of lack of connectivity and and especially for devices, because if it, you know, I think the average person, including me, when we think about sort of devices connecting to the internet, I think, okay, okay my, my Tesla connects to the internet and sort of like 
you know, Apple AirTags everywhere. Like I'm thinking about putting an Apple AirTag on my cat. Sort of, can you give us some example of sort of like, you know, what would be devices which are which are very often or typically outside of coverage that really benefit from this type of connectivity? Uh, indeed. So what you just mentioned are the typical, let's say, de uh, uh, like devices we see in, in, in cities, like on smart cities, mm -hmm. but there are devices that are really uh, outside in remote areas, mainly like connected, let's say, the enterprise business. So for example, if you look at energy companies, for example, you have uh, the, the windmills, you have a smart grid for electricity, uh, the utilities, uh, you have pipelines for oil and gas, for water that you have meters measuring different parameters. And these sensors, uh, 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 or for example, for detection, they need to be connected and send messages. You have a trackers, just you mentioned like the Apple tag, which is a great example, but that would not work, for example, in, in an area where there's no coverage of cellular or Bluetooth coverage. And uh, if you are tracking assets or you're tracking, for example, cars or, uh, uh, and as you said, smart cars is also an example. If you go out of cellular coverage, who's going to provide the coverage for that car or drone or wh whatever that is? Um, that's on one side. On the other side, you have in agriculture also uh, a lot of use cases, a lot of sensors that are, you know, temperature, humidity, uh, fertilizer sensors, uh, weather station that need, uh, uh, or mold, uh, mold like uh, detectors that need to be connected and you need to get all that data from large field into uh, the center and that requires also uh, connectivity uh, um, and of course you, you're talking now about automated uh, 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 machines automated uh, 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 drones even in the sea uh, and and uh, all this will require connectivity and that connectivity is very special it's not the typical connectivity with a satellite dish or, or the broadband or what you have they're normally very bursty uh, uh, communication they they have to be low power because the devices may survive on a battery in such an area for long term and they have to be low cost. So traditional satellite uh, connectivity solutions don't work with that type of devices. You're talking about millions of distributed sensors and devices. Uh, talk about predictive maintenance. Uh, for example, if you have pumps or wellheads or machines in mining, you need to monitor very uh, uh, critical parameters in order to predict when will be the next maintenance or one machine is going to uh, fail, for example, and that would could save a lot of money for the enterprise operating that if you could predict in advance and plan where you do your maintenance. And of course, this requires continuous trending and reporting of the performance of, of such uh, uh, such uh, machines. This is very interesting. So it sounds like primarily a B2B use case, and you've gone through sort of a few examples of what type of devices people would want to monitor. How are they doing it right now, or are they doing it at all? By sending people into the field, believe it or not, or sending helicopters or people in cars into areas which are very dangerous. I mean, uh, and then you have to check, oh, is there a leak or is everything fine? Or let me take the measurement. Because, you know, uh, let's look, for example, at the oil and gas industry or the utilities industries. The, these things exist since long time. But let's say fiber uh, uh, cables and all the advanced been installed in private network with cellular, they uh, came later. But you may have like the new assets and the new infrastructure covered with the, this connectivity type, but you still have old assets that, you know, investing in putting a new infrastructure to co cover vast areas is really very expensive. So uh, what do you do about that? There comes the role of our IoT service. We could provide very affordable, low-cost satellite connectivity in such areas that can even save lives or, or reduce the, the cost of, of whether it's uh, helicopters or people you need to send into such areas to collect measurements or workers in the fields and in, in the agricultural fields. So that's that's the role we can come in and, and come 
cover such cases without the need to invest in huge infrastructure in remote rural areas of laying fiber cables or or, or uh, broadband cellular towers or connecting VSAT stations to every windmill, which doesn't make sense. It's an overkill. And, and so you mentioned low cost there. Can you give us an idea for, you know, if you pick one of these examples, for example, like a, like a sensor in an agricultural field, how much the customer would roughly pay for that? So uh, normally, like, uh, I mean, if, if cellular is, is very cheap, you know, you, you get like uh, data plans, which uh, may cost only a few cents for uh, uh, for a kilobyte of, of data. But that's on terrestrial. Now, if you're in remote areas, uh, then you've got services like, you know, Iridium, Global Star, which are expensive, you know, like a uh, kilobyte will cost you, uh, um, um, you know, more than than uh, two or three dollars or something like this. And uh, depending on, on, on um, volume, of course, here we're talking something in between, you know, we're trying to target an R4, for example, uh, 45, 40 cents, uh, 30 cents, something like this, which is uh, still, um, I mean, at least when talking to customer, they're all happy with the pricing and something they can afford. It's still cheaper than traditional satellite. If you talk about the hardware, you know, that uh, you're, you you know, whether it's a gateway or, or a connectivity device, you know, it's much, much cheaper than big M2M or the Iridium uh, uh, devices or Torreya devices. You know, we're talking about really a few hundred dollars compared to a thousand dollars or more, you know. So that's, that's really uh, affordable. Now, if you talk about the modules, so traditionally satellite modules uh, like cost minimum, let's say $900. Now you've got some property satellite IT companies coming up with modules like uh, $60, like for example, Astroca, Swarm. But if you look at cellular modules, they cost like $8, $13, $15, or $20. And, and uh, you know, these terrestrial modules have such a low cost due to the economies of scale because you have a standard that everyone follows everywhere in the world, which is cellular. Now, imagine that module starts connecting to satellites with the same price as a terrestrial module. That's a game changer. That never existed before. Uh, it, it will allow a lot of applications to be addressed now, like for example, real-time tracking uh, has been always limited to critical assets. There are a lot of companies today, they are producing like very fine trackers or barcode type of trackers that can connect to terrestrial. But now if you want to add a satellite component to it and integrate modules from traditional players, suddenly the bill of material of that barcode or patch tracker jumps a lot. That is not affordable anymore. Some of these trackers should be even disposable. So the cost has to be so low that allows such use cases. And if the same cellular tracker that are working today can connect to satellite without really changing the technology and, and the hardware, boom, then you have 90% of the real-time tracking market open up for critical and non-critical assets to be tracked. And so just to be clear, so I think you answered my question. I was going to ask you as the next question whether you are doing some of these hardware, the sensors and the modules in-house, but it sounds like the whole point here is that you could work with sort of like off-the-shelf existing hardware. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, the modules that are coming up uh, in the market, they are standard uh, modules from the known chip manufacturers and module makers for cellular. They are now in the process of releasing the modules for uh, non-terrestrial networks in Leo, release 17. This will be able to connect immediately to our satellite network because even the spectrum that we use on our satellite is the standard 3GPP spectrum that was assigned for uh, non-terrestrial networks. And we've been working on this since years. 
So we're well covered here. Uh, but also we have our own line of products of devices for users who are not device makers because a module is good for someone who want to integrate the module to their device or sensor machine. But some others, they just want to pick up and have a, a, an end-to-end solution. And we can enable that also using our uh, products like the OQ1, which is kind of a gateway that connects using standard industrial interfaces to sensors and then sends the, the, the data to the satellite through a narrowband IoT link. Uh, we have also the TrackMe, the OQ TrackMe, which is a tracker both for industrial and for consumer uh, product. But that's just for users who quickly want to uh, come up and have connectivity and a solution. But for others, they can bring their own product or module as long as 3GPP standard uh, uh, NTN connectivity module or device and it will work with our satellites and that's what will enable the economies of scale globally let me just open a quick bracket here on the regulatory side before i forget it because you mentioned there's something like you're using the same type of spectrum that's that's used terrestrially and so i'm not a regulatory expert i just sort of like obviously following a lot of the uh, what's called the direct to device um kind of trend in the in the larger space satellite communication sector i mean focusing more on on, on mobile phones rather than uh, that humans use rather than devices but there's been a lot of talk that how this might not be very trivial from a regulatory point of view so it seems like you were able to manage like using this terrestrial spectrum for basically space use as well mm. so uh, i i have to correct you here it's not actually terrestrial spectrum it's the band sitting beside the terrestrial spectrum n256 n255 so traditionally these are mobile satellite bands, MSS, okay. uh, but they were attractive uh, to be used on this non-terrestrial network because you could have a hardware that covers uh, both, you know, that you, you're not jumping from a band into a really totally mm -hmm. different band for satellite. And that's what 3GPP laid down to be used for NTN, the L-band and the S-band, which is traditionally used for MSS over satellite. And indeed, if you look at the terrestrial bands in the past, some it was already like uh, these were terrestrial bands, but they were not used. You know, they were not rolled mm -hmm. out. As, as terrestrial. And this through the discussions and, you know, what 3GPP standards were least 17, the, these bands were allocated actually for satellite that will work with uh, terrestrial uh, modules. So you can switch easily between the two bands. Now that's different from, let's say, what SpaceX with T-Mobile or others trying to do is to lease or use the actual terrestrial cellular mm -hmm. Uh, spectrum today to use it of satellite because there you get into trouble with interference and regulatory and, and stuff and and uh, it can these are two approaches for pro getting into this market either there's a mobile operator who tells you you can use that part of my spectrum because it's already i'm not using it on terrestrial or not going to cause interference or you follow the standard uh, bands that were allocated by 3gpp or recommended by 3gpp which are going to be on the new chips all the new chips will have that and you've heard about the qualcomm iridium uh, thing that took place recently well er from what we know publicly Iridium bands, L bands, are not the 3GPP assigned bands for, uh, you know, uh, for using cellular over satellite. So, if you are a smartphone maker, do you want to have a chip that has proprietary bands in there, or you have to have the bands that everyone who's going to do NTN satellite 3GPP going to use? So that's that's the the choice here. And and then you have, of course, the others who get approval from the mobile operator to use their band. But then you'll get into regulatory issues. You may need, uh, uh, yeah, special hardware. Yeah. Okay, got you. Thank you for that. 
closing closing the, the regulatory bracket. Now, coming coming back to another related aspect. So, you know, we're talking about here sensors and other types of modules and even spectrum bands and of course satellites. So, you know, if I'm a user, let's say I'm like a, a farmer, even a bigger farmer, it, it, it sounds very complicated to be honest. So how does that sale look like? For example, are you selling directly to end customers or are you working with some type of, you know, system system integrators in between who are, you know, making this, uh, let's say, more user-friendly to the end customer or how does that, that all work? Yeah, so, so today, uh, I mean, we are uh, working with enterprise directly. So these are the companies that have operations and need connectivity. We also working with uh, MNOs, MVNOs, who are kind of like in between the end user and us and planning to have like global roaming over satellite and then they can provide such services. Um, this is in the process right now. So, but of course we get approached also by end users who want such a solution. And uh, if they are not addressed by any system integrator or, uh, or, or MNO right now, we're also offering uh, uh, the service. So if you are a farmer, for example, and you have, for example, your uh, local service provider, connectivity provider does not have a solution for your connectivity in remote areas, their SIM cards doesn't work there, then we can give you, you know, either the SIM card that connects you to our satellites, and then you have the connectivity. Plus, if you have your own hardware, that's great. If you don't, we can also give you hardware. So that's how it works. Plus, we have a platform. So if you have your own platform, you don't need that from us. But if you have nothing and you need access to the data to see it, we have our own online cloud-based platform as soon as you have like a like a like a user front end basically. exactly and you can control you can see the measurement coming from the devices you can switch on switch off you can you know do all the type of network management thing for your own uh, asset. i guess related question there is sort of like what 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 does or what did your go-to-market look like for example are you starting with like you know certain large enterprise users in certain verticals and then you're kind of going towards the like mid-size and smaller or expanding to other industries or how are you guys doing the go-to-market <laughs> Yeah, believe it or not, the enterprise adoption has been quicker, which came as a surprise to us. So because these are the people with the problems, they have a problem today, they have use cases, and they are considered an end user who need a solution. So the pickup in our side has been quick with the enterprise user, but now also MNOs and MNOs are, are uh, uh, you know, realizing the importance of NTN and the new releases out, you know, because the thing is also we started early. So we started, uh, uh, you know, we oversaw, we are part of 3GPP, we are part of the discussions, However, uh, we 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 uh, we were also very quick in realizing the value of this. We are addressing customers, uh, and that's why uh, enterprise users were very interested in what we do. Now, as the release uh, was standardized last year, and now you you've got the MNOs and VNOs getting into this, so we are also having uh, through the MNOs and VNOs the, the relationship to address the market and go into the market. Of course, uh, um, I mean in future OEMs could be also interesting once the modules will be available. These are also the third uh, tranche of, of the uh, customers. Regarding uh, verticals where energy is a big um, focus right now, uh, maritime uh, and logistics, this is also the two uh, big, big uh, focus for us right now. And so in, uh, can you give some examples for energy and maritime, how they're specifically using it? Yeah, so so for energy, uh, we're addressing different use cases. So for example, wellhead monitoring, like uh, for different parameters, uh, pipeline uh, monitoring, uh, as Asset tracking non-critical. So, for example, you have yards of assets and devices, and machines, and or materials, and you need to know, okay, where is my asset in inventory today? Where is that? Did it move to a different place or something? Uh, believe it or not, some people uh, may want to use Earth observation to count, you know, the the, the assets.
assets in the in the open air inventories, and 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 you know that's not very uh, uh, very efficient uh, cost wise and 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 time wise, and that's why uh, the industries benefit a lot from such service. Now in the maritime industry, so you have, uh, for example, fishing boats that need to do reporting of. How much you captured? What did you do? Blah blah blah. You know all these types of things by which are kind of getting enforced right now. Um, so that's that's also another uh, another aspect we are uh, looking at. Uh, as I said, energy has been the quickest uh, adopter of our technology and solutions, and we're looking at other areas right now. Have you found that this is more sort of like a the 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 go to market is more of a push that you guys? have to go out to certain verticals and explain how, you know, your technology and, and um, infrastructure can be used or and or sort of like a demand pull of people coming to you and say, hey, I read you guys have this IoT connectivity and can you please explain how we can use it? Uh, I would say it's a combination of both. Uh, so it's been uh, a pull in, in uh, certain areas. It's, it's been a push in others. I think the more you go into, uh, uh, let's say, the, 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 the side of, uh, of uh, uh, end users, smaller players. This this has been more like a, of a push to educate them. Okay, this is not your typical expensive satellite uh, connectivity because you know satellites are oh that's expensive. I don't want to get there. Uh, while uh, it's been more of a pull regarding enterprise, uh, uh, you know. So that's an MNOs also. Uh, so they are coming out to us and they are realizing how advanced we are and what we have and the, the capabilities that we have, the spectrum that. We we have, which is very essential in the go-to-market. We have a clear strategy about that. Others don't. Uh, we have eight satellites in orbit. Uh, other in Leo, others don't. Uh, so we're and we are functional. We're commercial already. And so let's actually talk about this for a few minutes. This, you know, eight satellites in orbit. Like, so what kind of coverage does that provide you and the customers? So the coverage is global. It's just that the revisit time, of course, the how many contacts per day that varies depending on where you are. So we are uh, as we roll out the constellation, we are addressing step-by-step -step applications which are latency tolerant and trying to get later into more the latency intolerant and critical applications. Um, yeah, but the global the coverage is global. You know, we have our orbits right now, a satellite. So wherever you are, you're going to see the satellite. But it's going to be a few times a day. And so what's your ultimate plan for constellation size and, and revisit rate? Uh, so, I mean, uh, I mean, normally we're targeting a, a constellation right now with with uh, um, 72 satellites. This is the target where we want to go. And that will allow us also to address uh, a lot of applications that cannot be uh, addressed right now. Okay, what would be so because like, you know, when I've looked at this in the past, there's been sort of like uh, a lot of people typically saying, oh, yeah, like uh, many IoT use cases, it's like one message a day, sort of like, you know, status check. But what would be some examples of like, the, like, you know, lower latencies or higher frequency use cases? Yeah, well, it, it not just depends on uh, the number of messages, it depends on the response time. So uh, alarms, for example, you can't wait a day to get that. Uh, uh, tracking also, you need like, uh, if you have continuous, of course, uh, tracking, then you need very frequent uh, messaging. So it's really about the response and uh, the volume you can provide. Uh, uh, and also the same with, with commanding, you know, if you're sending or updating, uh, or sending commands down because it's two-way. Uh, now, if you look at the one message per day with a lot of players, that's 
that is good for certain markets and for certain volume, but it will never uh, scale up uh, large, so to say. You need in the end to to scale up. Uh, and you know, if if you talk about agriculture, maybe once a day or a smart meter that sends a daily consumption report of electricity or water, okay, that that's fine. Uh, but then, okay, uh, smart meters some are well covered by cellular. The ones which are not, uh, like if you look in Africa, you have you have uh, such meters, and we need to cover this uh, with satellite connectivity. But again, it's it's. Uh, I mean, in the end, you need to to move into uh, uh, lower response time and 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 higher volume. So that's uh, that's the, the the thing. And startups that you know promise just one message a day will cut the and will do the return of investment in long term. That that's not going to be uh, realistic. And so, what kind of satellites are we talking about here? Are those sort of you know I don't know three six U cubesats or what what sort of platform are you using? Yeah, we use the six U uh, platform for now. So these are our satellites, uh, and uh, they are very cost. Uh, effective. We try to uh, minimize the constellation uh, capex to address the IoT market. So you know we don't want to now go into different things or play the big. We're not in the broadband you know market where SpaceX fighting with AST and all these guys. No, that's not our thing. So look, we I always make this comparison. Our business is to deliver pizza. To deliver a pizza, I don't need a Lamborghini. I need a bicycle or a Mofa to get and deliver it. So let's keep our cost low and, and have a, co a constellation that delivers to that IoT market, specifically narrowband communication. And that will, will allow us then to... to Uh, get in the end their benefits and the return of investment. Yeah, and I guess neither are you in the sort of um, direct-to-device, direct-to-mobile um, business in the sense of like going beyond text messages where they need these like huge satellites like AST yeah. with Blue Walker. So uh, we are in the, I would say, in the direct-to-device, but not direct-to-mobile because we connect yeah. to devices directly without, uh, let's say, a big uh, terminal and dish. But uh, we're not in direct to mobile uh, like Link and these guys. Uh, but it's in the future roadmap, in the technology roadmap, because we are following 3GPP. There is no technology-wise is not uh, a difference between the two. You just need bigger satellites, bigger antennas. And spectrum-wise, technology-wise is all the same. Uh, but that's the market we're talking right now in our business case. But in the roadmap, it's in the future. And to be honest, we did get approached by uh, smartphone makers and uh, to assess the link budget and all that and the challenges. Uh, of course, you need bigger satellites uh, for this. Uh, in order to uh, to connect and and that's uh, where link and you know the others and I think IST is more broadband on direct mobile than just messaging. Okay, and speaking of um, well, smartphones are basically the, the the end terminal, so to say. In terms of really growing this this subsector, um, you were mentioning you you know you're using basically off the shelf. Um, Uh, receivers, sensors, and and that is giving you the advantage of the economies of scale. But are you satisfied with the receivers that are out there? For example, you know things like battery life. If you're really in a remote location, like it's fine if you don't no longer have to send people there to like monitor on a daily basis. But you also don't want to send people there. I don't know, like every few months to swap a battery, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so narrowband IoT, uh, if you look at the standard, was made for uh, kind of uh, low power bursty communication. Uh, ideally, a battery should last 10 years on a cellular terrestrial 
neurovendality. Now, of course, if you're going to use it a lot, uh, that's going to consume a, a lot. And they are optimizing. Like every release, there's more optimization happening there. What we have today, of course, uh, I would say no. We, I mean, we still there's still a lot to be done more, but it's much better than before. You know, you, you're not going to send every month or two months someone to change the battery. That's not the case. Probably in a year or uh, two years' time, depending on your consumption, which is good enough much better than before in the world of satellite machine connectivity. Uh, and, and that's that's actually one of the items customers uh, look at. And uh, we have a very good product. At least if you look at our own devices, they are have much uh, longer battery life than Orbcom or Inmarsat products that, uh, you know, 48 hours is dead uh, while we can have something that goes for a year uh, and, and, and uh, depending on consumption and it's still alive. So, uh, we took these things into account. That's why we are we are addressing our enterprise needs carefully. Uh, I hope, uh, of course, the end target is the smartphone. I mean, that's a very attractive market for future. Uh, but let's see how the game plays. Now there's the, uh, this battle of the, of the smartphone through satellite connectivity. Uh, I mean, we're taking the approach a bit the other way around, starting with narrowband IoT, going in future more to uh, direct to device rather than starting directly with direct to 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 mobile yeah and um the other thing i wanted to ask you about in terms of connecting devices so um, this is a non-video podcast but you can see i'm, I'm wearing an aura ring for example but so because variables is a giant market as well right but i guess then for wearables like the smartphone would always act as the um like a gateway i suppose yeah, indeed, wearables is is attractive. I think before going into smartphone, wearables will be our next target because these are IT devices in the end, you know, and uh, consumers are using that. Uh, they are everywhere, and um, again, because they are as your ring is so small, and probably the antenna is not really that pointy, yep. and. You know, you cannot put your fist up in the sky to connect uh, to yeah. the satellite. Uh, there will be a game. But the nice thing is, uh, compared to Geo, like if, if Leo uh, NTN has a high potential of connecting wearables because first, uh, you, you don't need pointing like a Geo because the satellite can come from any angle. So it's going to pick up the set, uh, the signal, you know, with the wearable. That's one thing. The other thing, link budget is much better. You're closer to Earth. You're not 36,000 uh, kilometer away. You're just 500 kilometer away, which is really very interesting for for direct to connectivity, low power consumption, smaller antennas. That so I I see this is the value of our network in Leo of 5G NTN compared to Geo 5G NTN is that you uh, IoT you can have a better link budget. And I see I think already we see in the market and from clients there are some players out there uh, using the legacy Leo uh, least spectrum to offer normality over Geo is very limited. It's really very limited. And if you want to get more out of that, you're going to have to go to Leo. And so the other question I want to ask, on a, I guess, on the technology side, is so as we're connecting more and more devices, hopefully, and some of them are, you know, in some sense, critical devices, what's the role of cybersecurity here? And uh, is it on the client's minds? And then how are you guys addressing it? 
Yeah, so uh, this is a very uh, good question. In indeed, if uh, uh, cybersecurity is a big topic in IoT, uh, it's uh, especially energy companies also look at it highly because it's a critical asset. And uh, they that's why they see, for example, a 3GPP standard technology, which is similar to cellular and it has its own, let's say, security aspects, authorization and encryption aspects, SIM card authentication and all that. This package comes with the standard. We don't need to invent it. You know, it's already in there. Uh, there, there, there is a lot of uh, security aspects. There is a whole working group of security in 3GPP for cellular. So uh, when you are aligned with the standard, at least, you know, what I'm doing here is similar to what I'm doing with the mobile operator. So all these security aspects are taken care of. Rather, if I go to uh, a technology that I don't know uh, a proprietary satellite technology or a LoRa kind of tech, it has security uh, gaps. It is a simple protocol and not as complex as Naroband IT. As the, you know, simple protocols connect very good to satellite, but that comes at the expense of something. The handshaking and the security aspect there, it's weak. So you don't see that going into enterprise users who are very critical or smart, you know, car makers or drones or stuff. You, you don't. You need to be sure your uh, the standard helps in that. So we follow the standard, whatever comes with the standard from security aspects that need to be respected, need to be implemented, the encryption and so on. And of course, there is always room to improve and add you know extra layers of cybersecurity depending on the uh, on the customer need. But working with a client like Aramco, for example, which is the world's largest oil and gas company, believe me, security is is a big choice uh, factor in choosing the technology. Okay, makes sense. So coming back to the the markets, the verticals, the, the use cases, right? And you've already mentioned that you know right now, um, for example, energy and maritime are big markets for you. So what what are you most excited about right now? But also, I think the more interesting question is, what are you more excited about, possibly of like future use cases, future verticals? Uh, I, I've been uh, always uh, excited about uh, the unexpected use cases that customers come up with, you know, like we never thought of them. Okay, we know, for example, tracking and all that. But when you have a client who says, okay, uh, we are in a country where it's very vast, uh, very large, and uh, we do fences, and these fences, uh, you know, to protect animals or people from crossing, and, and they have... Uh, you know, you need, uh, you have uh, also their um, sensors, you have batteries, and, and uh, it's uh, hundreds of kilometers of a fence. I'm like, wow, uh, you know, I never thought about that. And you need to cover this uh, with devi with devices that give, you know, uh, readings. You cannot put a satellite dish or a big gun or a radium terminal every few kilometers. That, that will be an overkill, you know. But our solution is suitable for something like that. So such use cases are very interesting. So honestly, I'm always open to learn from users unexpected things, you know, uh, like uh, that they come up to. So these actually the things which uh, uh, I mean um, we we look for. Again, I I I'm more inclined towards the enterprise remote area applications and use cases that come out there. A lot of users there I deprived today from satellite connectivity because it's expensive and it's bulky hardware and, you know, traditional. So there are a lot of players and users there that wish they could have an affordable satellite connectivity working with mobile, also cellular. So they always try to find their GSMA, uh, sorry, their GSM signal to connect to. If you can't find 5G or whatever their GSM, the minimum on cellular, and they can't find. 
So offering something over uh, the sky that's compatible with mobile is, is and, and low cost is, is a big uh, uh, is an enabler for a lot of users. Is there anything sort of like fun, excuse me, fun, crazier uh, on your mind? I'll, I'll just give you one example. There's some of our venture capitalists which rightly or wrongly believe that, you know, like the Tesla Optimus, like the humanoid mm -hmm. robot. Like some, yeah. some of us believe that like, you know, I don't know what the right time frame is, a decade or two decades down the road, there might be millions of these around the world and they right. all have to be connected, right? Exactly, exactly. So something like that, yeah, which also scary, but uh, it's coming, you know, at some point. Yeah, and uh, these will be all connecting to satellites, you know? Yeah, that's that's where the cybersecurity is very important because we've all seen the movie or read the book, I, Robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, okay. the other thing is, is the resilience, you know, like with Leo networks uh, and, let, you know, you have multiple satellites. If few fail, it does not interrupt the service per se. But if you look what happened recently with the geo satellite that failed, suddenly you lost like third of the world connectivity, you know, yep. and to replace this will take years and cost a lot. And and Starlink, for example, and all, all these Leo constellations, including our constellation, uh, the fact that maybe not everyone realizes that, but is the resilience. You know, uh, if you lose satellites, if someone shoots satellites, you still have ongoing service. You know, it will not be completely interrupted. And and that's how, why Leo is, is uh, important. Yeah, absolutely agreed. I mean, purely from also a national sort of like security and like geopolitical risk point of view, I think that's where things are going, right? And this is why, you know, entities like the SDA and the US are investing heavily in in, in, in Leo networks. So let me um, also ask about sort of the wider market, I guess, right? The wider um, satellite IoT market, because it's been interesting and it's been interesting. And then some people would even say frustrating for some of the entrepreneurs and investors. So if you look over the last few years, right there, there was a time, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, there was a lot of excitement and there was um, like, there was a lot of companies like in my venture capital where we got pitched a lot by IoT companies. And and of course, stupidly, we didn't uh, invest in OQ because you guys are clearly doing, doing very well. Too late we now, of... too late. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and now of course you're too successful for us as a seed stage fund, but we'll come back to that. Um, but there was a lot of players around, right? And you, you know all of them and uh, and then it's, it's been interesting. So some of them, and we won't mention any names, so, but I think people know some of them outright folded. They basically went away. Um, there's some interesting things like, you know, um, Swarm got acquired by SpaceX, but then some people say that may have been for, you know, certain reasons like Spectrum and, and even like so-called Acquihire. Um, there have been like uh, merger attempts, which then failed. There have been listing attempts that then failed. There have been some companies which suddenly made very significant pivots to the extent that, you know, it's unclear whether they're actually an IoT company anymore. So where, where do you see, like, where we are today with this experience of a few years? Where do you see the satellite IoT market going? And why do you have conviction your approach is, is the right approach? Yeah, uh, very interesting, Raphael. Yeah, because when we started also, this was big height of satellite uh, IoT. And, uh, you know, there was a time that oh, I'm the only one. What? You know, you see uh, there are companies and then they keep popping up like mushrooms. So... Um, and now it's cleared. Uh, I think uh, I'm still strongly uh, opinionated that uh, the standard will prevail. It's like the beginning of the 2G. You had different uh, technologies for mobile connectivity. It's not just the 
you know, the GSM. No, there were a lot of other technologies, uh, but what prevailed in the end is the standard that the world follows. And that's when we started, we looked at three technologies. It was Zigfox, LoRa, and, and uh, Narrowband IoT Release 13, which was terrestrial at that time. And I'm like, mm, you know, it, we studied each one and we said, okay, if that thing in cellular, and there were discussion of bringing that to cellular already, it wasn't new. Uh, it's going to go into satellite, uh, you know, you cannot stand in the face of 3GPP. This is a huge body of all the mobile and all the chip and all the operators in the world of, of cellular that going to roll out uh, uh, globally. And it's, it's so it's better we stick with the standard rather than reinvent the wheel uh, of global star in Iridium or use the technology which is not vetted by a big body like 3GPP, which in this case, Zigfox, or which in the end, you saw what happened to Zigfox. And I personally believe Laura is going the same path. So uh, for me, is most of these startups, they did the damage to themselves, but to us also, because they brought the bad reputation to satellite IoT. I mean, if you're coming up with something where you're just competing on price, promising low, 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 but I'm redoing the uh, story of Iridium in the 90s. You can't beat them. Iridium has the network. They did this business and they don't care to lower their price because, you know, still they have the connection to the customer. Cheap doesn't mean always good, you know. So that, unfortunately, we saw with investors and stuff like it kind of... Um, spilled over into everyone companies folded stopped uh, offering service you know car makers are skeptic like why should i put a chip in my car for a company i don't know that may disappear tomorrow but if i put a chip from oq which is 5g standard then oq goes bust oh i have the other operators following the standard the chip is coming from qualcomm or whoever i'm covered you know it's like mobile you know if one operator disappears there's in the country the other operator so that you know that's why we said no we stick with the standard and that's what where, where we attracted like uh, you know uh, our investor where they saw value okay that's coming up and then the apple the change where apple brought this direct to connect uh, to mobile connectivity samsung everyone's following suit that created now a new uh, rush into you know okay this is where it's going it's direct to device direct to mobile whether it's broadband or it that's where the world is heading. Staying in the past of property, uh, satellite connectivity is not going to continue for, for very long. And, and companies need to adapt. If spectrum is going to be standardized, module is going to be standardized, connectivity is going to be standardized, you as a customer or an operator, why would you go with something private and property with one company? Why? Why? I mean, there's no reason if your smartphone makers, why would you do that? If you know there's out there a global standard everyone is using. If I go now to, let's pick up some, some country, random. Uh, I don't know, if I'm in, in Chile or Argentina, and I say, look, here is a phone from, uh, let's say, uh, X company, but it doesn't use 4G and 5G. It uses, uh, I don't know, Lala land connectivity towers and technology, it's different. Ah, and you can't roam everywhere, and it's a special technology. Who's going to buy that? No, nobody's going to buy that. So uh, you, you see, that's, that's I think, the mistake companies followed, uh, going too early or doing IPOs too early, SPACs and all this, and, and uh, not following the standard. So, yeah, I believe we bet on the right horse, and we're doing uh, well right now. Makes sense. So let's review sort of the timeline where you guys are as a 
as a company. And actually, no, let me take a step back while we're talking about timeline. I forgot to ask you before, like, how did you actually come up with this? Like, why? What was the original motivation to do this? Uh, so I was actually, um, you know, when I, uh, before I, you know I started OQ, I was working with SES in, in Luxembourg, and I'm like, I'm, you know, uh, I'd like to do something with CubeSats. Nano satellites is, is very interesting invention and the standard nanosatellites and i want to do something with that uh, in the telecom field everyone was doing the earth observations stuff like that but then uh, you know you can't um, you cannot do much with a nanosatellite as a broadband because of the limitations you have uh, and then i suddenly started seeing terrestrial lp1 spreading like uh, low power wider net like zigfox lore and all that and you have small devices really connecting directly to a station. And I said, let me calculate the link budget. Does this will work on an EU satellite? Oh, and it, it does work. And it's, you know, you don't need a big satellite to do that. And then I was so uh, uh, surprised when I read that the number of devices connecting to the internet surpassed the number of human beings on earth. And, uh, and, and that I saw, okay, this is going to, be critical. There will be a lot of devices. There's not good. The infrastructure is not made to connect such devices. You need low power. You need low cost connectivity. Satellites will play a role. So it's a kind of combining nano satellites with the LP1 and coming up with the right thing. This is where the vision came, and and making you know on on a on a on a handkerchief some calculations of link budget that uh, that works. Uh, that said, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna start this. So I quit my job and. Yeah, that's a docu. Gotcha. And so now, obviously, um, you, you guys have, you know, as you, as you mentioned, uh, several satellites operating in orbit. You seem to have commercial traction. If you're working with companies like um, Aramco, you're doing a, I think, a Series B funding round right now for, I suspect, um, further build out right of the of the satellite constellation. Where, where do you see the company in five, ten years, ideally? Uh, well, I, five, 10 years, we'll be doing probably 6G, 7G over satellites. So uh, this is the thing. Once you are in the standard, this is a, a generation-wise business. Uh, they're going to come up with 6G. 6G going to have satellite factor in it. If your infrastructure is doing 5G over satellite and you know the change and the backward compatibility is easy, then you're going to roll out 6G over satellite, then 7G, and there will be new use cases and new, new features. So I'm, I'm very excited, thrilled about this, and I would like to see OQ as a global player that is leading uh, cellular connectivity over satellite, over multiple technology generation, not just uh, 5G. Okay, so it's basically what you're doing right now, but sort of like scaling along various Yes. Aspects, I suppose. Okay, that yes. makes that makes a lot of sense, and that, that's why you're raising money to 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 enable that that scaling. As we're kind of getting towards the close here, let me ask you some questions. I I, I ask often towards the end of an episode. So you're based in in Luxembourg. Do you want to speak a little yes. bit about how the the ecosystem has been? But I think you're based in Luxembourg, but you're also doing a lot in the Middle East. So if you want to talk about that as well, feel free to. Yeah. So the company uh, group, the headquarters in Luxembourg, uh, the, we have subsidiaries in. Greece and Athens, in Dubai, in Saudi Arabia, and in Rwanda and Africa, other parts of the world, of course, uh, the big markets. Um, so, uh, you know, that Luxembourg has been really uh, instrumental in this journey. We even started, you know, 2016, it was early days. I, I Sometimes I like to think we're, uh, you know, the really first uh, new space startup in, in Luxembourg because we had only big 
big company at that time. Of course, later on, a lot of companies start coming and with the creation of Luxembourg Space Agency and the push towards the asteroid mining and the space and all this, this attracted a lot of companies. This has been very instrumental. I mean, Luxembourg is, is an, an innovative country. You have direct access to decision maker, makers. You can pitch your idea and work with different government entities to find the right solution, how to implement things. Uh, and and really, this is a big factor here. They've been very supportive also at the beginning financially. So a lot of funding at the beginning came from actually government contracts. It's it's uh, the program, national program of, of Luxembourg, which, you know, we're talking more than 7 million of non-diluted funding that got us where we are. Then we went out to get to a seed round and then Series A last year, which was done with 5G Ventures and Aramco. So um, I think we have been, um, if I want to think of another country where uh, uh, at that time that could, you know, really help in, in this, I mean, of course, U.S. is, is a, you know, the big entrepreneurial space country, but in Europe, I would, I see Luxembourg well, well positioned also for space startups and, and uh, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, if I, if I go back in time, I think it was the right move. How's it been um, being on the ground in in a country like uh, uh, Saudi Arabia? I mean, obviously a country with very big space ambitions. The, the, you see, so I'm seeing the story of Luxembourg unfolding again. You know, that's that's the the nice thing. And and uh, the Saudi Arabia has been very amazing now with their space program, the push for space, and really looking into commercial space. Also, that's very important. Also, supporting. Uh, uh, ambitious uh, uh, space startups, but the country is so big and there's a lot of use cases and a lot of things to do. It's unimaginable. Uh, the regulatory uh, authority there also is very well uh, versed in space and they understand satellites and they understand spectrum and they they are out there on the look also of new technology, whatever brings the, comp uh, uh, the latest in space into the country. And you've seen, and, and we've been also a lot of contributing. We have local uh, uh, team there, which is also nationals there. So we are also, uh, and there we're close to our clients, but also we're covering whole region, you know, like, like of Middle East with our service. So I think uh, Saudi Arabia is up to big things in space, you know, like, uh, and, and I'm very excited about that also. Yeah, and, and to your point that, that they're savvy there, I mean, and just, I had a chance to speak to the Minister of Telecommunications, who I guess is also looking after space, an extremely, extremely sharp person. I, I mean, if space is a big part of the strategy of the country and the vision of 2030, you say, oh, okay, wow, that's what what best than that can you get? You know, it's not a private, no, it's a national thing. The government, the country is, see space as strategic. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. Yep, we got to get somebody from uh, from the uh, KSA government on this podcast. Working on that. So, a couple a couple of final questions for you, Omar. If you weren't doing OQ, but of course you're sort of aware of what's going on in the space sector at large, is there any other sort of area of activity of commercial activity you'd find particularly exciting? In space or not space? You mean <laughs> in space? Well, it doesn't uh, have to space. be physically in space, but like a space related uh, business model. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, launchers has been always something very exciting, but now it's, uh, I think SpaceX is, is, is really driving everyone out and it's very, I, I, I wouldn't want to be on the show of people uh, competing in this market uh, unless there's a, a big technology shift or something that 
you know, uh, has not been looked at. Uh, I think Launcher is exciting. Now, commercial, whether this would be successful business or not right now, that's a different uh, story. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, yeah, let's see. I mean, Launcher still attracts me and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just following what's going on in this in this area of and now you have also the quantum aspect in space that's also a very interesting mm-hmm. dimension i think these two are very exciting uh, aspects in space right now revolutionary um for launchers i let's wait and see this is very interesting actually what's going on because we we are seeing a market where there's a very advanced player with a lot of capabilities and we see all other players are kind of struggling to to match or access so it's a, it's a kind of for me a wait and see how this plays out uh, um yeah but um, let's see I, I guess there's one very easy question i can ask you who are you launching on uh well we use uh, i mean we do ride share so we did vega we do spacex of course and whatever opportunity uh, is there we are we are uh, you know uh, just like the other uh, Cubesat players looking for the right share opportunities wherever that is uh, possible. And the final question we always ask is um, about science fiction. And this is whether you uh, like science fiction. I hope yes. And if so, what are some of your favorite works? This could be movies or books or TV series, anything. Uh, well, I of course, I've, uh, I started as a child with, with space and space movies and science fiction. But uh, I think the one that always sticks to mind and I keep... Uh, Looking at, I don't think, well, I don't upset any fans here or anything, but at least my taste is uh, Battleship Galactica has been always, uh, you know, uh, an interesting uh, uh, artwork that I haven't seen any, my view again, that personally, I, I, uh, I'm still looking for something as exciting as, uh, as it is. Um, yeah, but, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, but I would say recently I've been very busy that I kind of detached from from science fiction movies and stories and stuff. You know, it's a day and night job right now, especially with the new fundraise. Yeah. So, so Battlestar Galactica is, a, is definitely also a favorite of mine, and um, particularly the remake. I mean, the, the old 70s one is fun, but the remake, I think, but, is, but, uh, is, you, is... You know, funny enough, I say the same. <laughs> I say the same. I still remember when I was a child and I was watching... Okay, well, I was born in the 80s, but I, I, you know, I used to see the, the one from the 70s and I liked it, you know, much more than the future versions. Yeah, I keep saying that. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, it actually goes back to sort of the question from before, like sort of like the humanoid. This is like the yeah. humanoid, the Tesla, Tesla Optimus gone wrong, obviously, it got very <laughs> wrong, but they're probably all connected or they must all be connected. So there you go, you're back to IoT connectivity. <laughs> but Omar, thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck to, um, to OQ operationally and including your, your current fundraise. And it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much, Rafael. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I look forward to meet you soon in one of the events. We keep like, you know, pa- passing uh, <laughs> each other absolutely we will or maybe maybe even in uh, Saudi Arabia where I have to go yeah, yeah. Uh, let me know when you're there thanks thanks a lot that's good thanks Omar thank you well that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast if you like this podcast please consider giving it a 5 star rating on your favorite podcast platform such as iTunes you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities 
in the space economy. Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.